Uh, we're continuing. We're going to jump right into our sermon today. We won't do the memory verse this week. It's chapter 1, verse 7. It's the bottom of your note. So work on that this week. We're three away and memorize the whole chapter of chapter 1. Okay. Uh, today, we're going to pick up from verse chapter 3, verse 19 uh, to uh, verse uh, chapter 4, verse 6. Uh, can you go next slide, please? Thank you. Um, so I want to share with uh, so my kids just started soccer. Uh, their season just got started. This is not their first time playing soccer. But this week is, was their first practice. So uh, if you ever gone to like mini soccer, really young kids soccer, if you want a good laugh, you should go to those practices. Uh, because what happened is they kind of show up and most of the kids have no idea what they're doing. And so when we were there this week, um, Caleb played before. But it's been a whole year since he's last played. Um, he kind of forgot a few things. And so the coach said, oh, let's pair up. What's one of them that should be uh, on offense, the other one on defense. And so the offense person obviously gets the what? The ball, right? And the goal is what? To score the goal. So Caleb got the ball, and then there's the defender in front of him. And then Caleb started getting really upset. I was like, what happened? Like, do you not like that guy? Or like, there's, a, there's, you know, what happened? And so he starts saying, no defense, no defense. And then I was like, wait. That's what the coach said. The whole point of the drill is there's a defender. You're trying to get away from the defender. And it's like, no defense. And it's when the guy started taking the ball away from him, he got even more upset. He's like, no, no, no defense. We're not playing defense. So in his mind, for whatever reason, he thought soccer is me score all the time. And there is no defender. And I don't know if it's just a sign of bad parenting on our part that we spoil him or whatever it is. But he somehow got stuck in this mindset of, my job is just go bring the ball to the goal, and there should be no one stopping me. Without realizing that the whole point of the game is a defender is to go and stop you from scoring so they can score. Right? I share this with you is because sometimes I think as Christians, we are similar. We're very similar. When I was a non-Christian, I did not grow up in a Christian household. So when I was growing up as non-Christian, I went to a Catholic school uh, and then my parents sent me to a Protestant Christian school as well. Um, I remember growing up thinking, don't judge me, okay? Uh, I really th- I thought about cri- Christians around me. I thought they're so dumb. Like, they're so naive. Like, they feel, I, when I was growing up, I saw these Christians. It seems like they just live in this glass house that there's nothing ever happened in their, in their home. Like they're so naive as if they're, that the whole life would be, would be okay. The whole life would, would, would go well. And no, there's no, de- like kind of like Caleb, there's no defender in their lives. They're just kind of taking, taking the Bible all the way to heaven and Jesus will welcome them. And that was my thought of thinking, man, how can Christians be so naive? Because I live a pretty, my, I grew up in a relatively uh, low-income family. Uh, God bless us eventually that my, 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 my family uh, did a little better. But we grew up in a very small apartment. I remember there, there, are, there are parts of my life that I wish I didn't have to go through. We have to walk everywhere. We have to watch how much we buy food. But yet at the same time, when I look at the Christians, it seems like they're so naive. And, and I wonder, do they not know what the world is like? Or are they just living in this life pretending that life is as good as they thought it would be? You know, up to this point of the book of 1 John, uh, John's been teaching us and kind of laying out all these tests to kind of test uh, whether we are really having faith in God or not. Right? We talk about obedience. Do you obey God? Do you love God? And then we start talking about, uh, do you really, are you convicted about what you believe about Jesus? I don't know about you, but as you kind of look through those lists, I think we all kind of live in this place of valley and, 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 and a mountain. 
Like, uh, some days we kind of feel like, man, I got this going, man. Like, I know I'm a, I'm, I'm Jesus' follower because I'm following these these commandments. I'm loving one another. But then another day comes by, you're like, man, I'm not so sure anymore. You're kind of in that defeat mode and thinking, man, maybe I'm not a Christian. Man, I don't really love, love my family. I don't really love people at church here. I don't even know what I believe about Jesus anymore. And perhaps there are times of doubt. There is time of confusion. And John, when he comes to chapter 3, he took a little break from talking about all these tests. Kind of addressed that, this issue of doubt and confusion. Because he realized that perhaps all uh, the people that he was writing to also struggle with some of these thoughts. And he knew that they, they, he, he was writing from the assumption that they are believers. He's seen their lives. He shared the gospel with them. He prayed with them to receive Jesus. And, and yet they, there can be a time in our lives that we struggle with confusion. We struggle with, with, uh, with doubts in our faith. And we wonder, man, I, I thought I'm a Christian, but am I anymore? And that's what John is, is tackling here uh, uh, in this passage that we're going to talk about. And so the question we're going to answer today is this. How do we deal with this type of doubts? Like the times when you felt like, man, I know I'm a Christian, but I don't really feel like a Christian. In your heart, you know, I am a Christian, but I don't really live like a Christian. Then you're like, am I a Christian or not? And that's the question that John is going to tackle for us today. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. And there are three things that we see from this passage that we, that we can walk away with. How can we counter, how can we deal with the doubts and confusions of, of our faith? Here's the first one. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. The first way for you and I to counter whenever we're doubting and confused about our faith is that we need to be aware that Satan is attacking us from within and from without. We need to be aware, not be naive in thinking that Satan is sitting on a sideline, letting us do whatever we want. We need to be alert in the sense that we need to realize that Satan is always on the attack, whether he does it inside of us or outside of us. Because in this passage, John said the first thing is there, there are two directions of this attack. One is he does it from the inside of us. If you look at uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 19, here's what it says. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will assure, reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. I want you to pay attention there in verse 20. It says, whenever our hearts condemns us. John is referring to our conscience. John is saying sometimes as Christians, Satan can use our conscience to our disadvantage. Sometimes our hearts will start rebuking us or making us feel guilty beyond what we ought to feel. It will condemn us and say, hey, don't you, didn't you say you're a Christian? Man, why would you do that? Our hearts, our conscience can condemn us in such a way that will lead us away from God. I don't know if you ever have this conversation in your head before, but I certainly had this before. You've done something wrong, you've sinned, and you know you've sinned, right? And then on one hand, you're like, hey, man, that's really bad. I feel really bad about this sin. Maybe you were angry at your family. You just yell at your family and you cuss at your family. You're like, man, I, I feel really bad. I know that's not what I should do. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be do, feeling that anger, that anger toward my family. And then while you're feeling guilty and want to repent, the other, another part of your heart says this. Yeah, you're so bad. Man, remember, no Christians will ever curse at their family. 
No, 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 Christian. Remember the story you heard two weeks ago about Cain, about anger? Man, you're just like Cain. And you start feeling this guilt inside of you, and you start, and then that, 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 that your conscience starts saying, hey, even you sin so much, do you really believe that God loves you? Like, do you ever wonder, like, God actually forgive your sin? And then, and then the other part of your conscience starts wrestling with that. Like, I'm not that bad. I remember that I have repented my sin. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be, be, be uh, 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 cursing at my family. But I know I did. I, I want to repent. I don't want to do that anymore. Perhaps you have that conversation within your heart. And that's what it means when John says, your heart condemns you. Sometimes I ask believers, Satan will use guilt to trick us in thinking that maybe you are not who you thought you were. Maybe you are the sinner that never been saved. But we need to be aware of that the heart, the Bible says the heart is tricky, it's deceitful. Even though we've been saved by grace, we have a spirit in us, Satan still sometimes influences us in, in tricking us and tricking our hearts to believe that what we have received from Christ is not enough. So we'll talk about that, but we need to be careful of that. But not only attack from inside of us, from our conscience. John continues and said that there is an attack from the outside as well. Not only do, does, does your heart play tricks on you, Outside from the world, there are teachings that will lead you to start believing in things that is not true about God. You jump down a little bit in chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what it says. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. John was clear. That there are false spirit, false prophets, false teachers that are out in the world already. John is not saying, hey, watch out because there will be false teachers. He said, no, there were, there are false teachers already. In fact, if you remember a couple of sermons ago in chapter 2, Paul, uh, John touched on this topic. In John chapter 2, verse 18, he says this. Children, is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that this is the last hour. Verse 19, they went out from us, and they did not belong to us. Earlier I said that sometimes as Christians we can be very naive. We think that we, we are in neutral, that the world actually is, is, is uh, okay with us. But in reality, John said, no, Satan is using false teachers to influence your mind, influence your heart. He is on the prowl. Peter said this, Apostle Peter, he's like a lion prowling around to devour you. So we do not live in neutral. Perhaps for some of you, this is kind of way before you were born. Do I next picture, please? Uh, 9-11 attack. Some of us who are older who remember that, I remember vividly that day because it was summer in September. In 2001, 9-11 happened when our country was attacked. If you were, you, you were alive that day, you watched television, you hear the radio and newspaper and all that stuff, you read all those things. The, the, the common sentiment, the feeling is this. That how, how did this happen? There was a shock and a denial in this country. You know why? Because we thought that we could, no one could ever attack America in America. Because as a country, we were very naive in thinking that, man, we are Americans. We can do whatever we want with all the powers, with all the, all the resources to, to combat any country there is. But on that day, we were reminded 
that maybe we're not as strong as we thought. In fact, I was just reading an article that in today's world, I don't know how true it is, okay? Uh, don't quote me on this. I read it in an article. It says that there are over 100,000 spies in America today working primarily to overthrow this government and the freedom that you and I enjoy. You know, not only there are spies in this physical world, there are spies from Satan as well that is working in this world to devour you, to take you away from God. And so we need to be real about this. We need to be vigilant about this. And sometimes these attacks will sound really good. Because the Bible tells us, and John tells us this in verse 5. You go down there, chapter 4, verse 5. Some of these so-called teachers, so-called Bible teachers, they are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. And maybe many people, they draw crowds. Thousands of people listen to them. But yet at the same time, just because a lot of people listen to people, it does not make them right. And this is why we need to be careful. I want to share a, a, a song with you, uh, a lyric with you. I, don't, I can't sing it because it's a rap. But it's a very meaningful lyric that I want to encourage you to listen to. I don't know that rap is your genre of music, but the lyrics is very, very profound. And here's what it says. It's, this song is actually called False Teachers. And here, I want you to listen to his lyrics. Here's what it says. It says this about false teachers in America. It's foul and deceitful. They're lying to people, teaching that camels squeeze through the eyes of a needle. And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type because some of their statements are right, but only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. And that's how spiritual uh, false teachers attack us. They will sound just almost right. And you would think, man, that sounds so good. Let me throw some, some examples out. These, these four statements that perhaps you have heard of before. Here's the first one. God won't, go to the next slide, please. God won't give you more than what you can handle. We've all heard of this. But guess what? It's not true. The devil made me do it. Here's the third one we hear a lot. We are all God's children, believer or not. Number four, God helps those who help themselves. These are teaching that may not be in the same form, the same wording that we've been kind of talking about, even sometimes in church. We have used these phrases. And that's how these false teachings are sipping in through. And we'll see how dangerous that can be. So John's point here is very simple. That we need to be aware that there can be attacks from within our hearts and also attacks from outside of false teachers. So then the question is, what should we do? Like, is there a real way for us to know that we really believe in Jesus? Now, here's the second point then. That the second way for us to, ca- to counter uh, a confusion and doubt of our faith is this. We must believe rightly about Jesus Christ. Not just we believe about Jesus Christ, but we must believe rightly, correctly about Jesus. Because for many of us, believing Jesus is not the hard thing. Many people in this world believe in Jesus. Let me name some of you for you. Hindus believe that Jesus they only believe Jesus is one of the many gods. Muslims believe in Jesus. They believe Jesus is a great prophet. Just he's not God. Mormons believe that Jesus is a creative being, a brother of the devil, a brother of all people, human being. Yet he, they don't believe that Jesus is God. Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus was created being, per, uh, is, a, uh, uh, is a transformation from Michael the Archangel to become a man. Christian science believes that Jesus is in, in tune with a divine consciousness, whatever that means, but he is not God. 
See, the problem for us is never that we don't believe in Jesus, but what we believe about Jesus. That is going to help us with these attacks from within and from without. So when you go back to John, First John chapter three, how do we deal with our conscience when it's condemning us, when when it's calling us out that we're guilty and say we're no good and we're doubting? Do we really believe in Jesus? Verse twenty. Here's what John said. Yes, the God, our heart condemns us, but here's what it says: For God is greater than our hearts, and He knows all things. If we are to overcome that co- condemnation from our conscience, from our hearts, if we are real believers, we need to be convicted that God is greater. But here's the question: How do you know that God is greater? By just reading it. You see, it has to go back to Jesus. What we believe about Jesus is going to help you to realize that God is greater. Here are three things we see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. Three truths about Jesus Christ. I want to lay them out before you and explain to you why it makes God greater, okay? Here's the first one. At 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. Let's read it together. Ready? One, two, three. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit that he has given us. Three things we see about Jesus here. Three truths that you must believe rightly about Jesus if you are to overcome condemnation in your heart. The first one is this. Jesus Christ is the son of God. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And you're like, well, that's duh, man. Like, we're saying this all the time. The reason why this is so important is because we must believe that he is God and he was the son of God, the perfect son of God. Because when we believe that he is the perfect son of God, he's the only one that can save you and I. So if he could save you and I, well, we could not do it ourselves. Now that we believe him, he can also be the one who supply us with the power and the strength to live today. So that's why God is greater. See, the condemnation that you feel, the guilt that you feel, God took it away without you helping him. And now the same guilt that you might feel today, that price has already been paid for. And now Jesus is telling, I'm great at what I've done. You can, no one can take it away. And now believe in that because I'm the son of God who died on the cross and was resurrected three days later. That's why it's important that Jesus is the son of God. Here's the second one. Jesus Christ gives us the power to obey him. That's why you see verse 24. The one who keeps his commands remains in him. We talked about this. The the very fact that you and I can keep the command of Christ is the evidence that you're a believer. The very fact that you want to, when you were guilt, when you felt the guilt, like, man, you're not Christian. See, uh, a Christian would not, would, not, would not sin. But when you feel that remorse inside of you, you feel like, man, that's not the life I want. I, I want better. That in itself is the power of Christ in your life. That's why God is greater. He said, yes, you're right. You are not like Cain. Cain said, he, Cain had no remorse for murdering his own brother. But you and I, because we have God in our lives, we have Christ in our lives, we have the power to obey his commands. Now, all of a sudden, he's, we, we, we actually can obey his commands, which leads to the third one, that Jesus Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus came on earth and died and resurrected, Jesus did not stay on earth with us. He left. But if you remember, when he left, he also gave us the great counselor. The third person in the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, inside of us. 
Again, now no longer are you just Vincent, Terrence, Victor, Son, Martin, Stephen, Ben. All of a sudden, we have the Holy Spirit. And we are, I'm Ben with the Holy Spirit inside of us. You have the power to do things that you could no longer do, you could not do before. That's why when the, our conscience convicts us, man, I have the Holy Spirit. I don't have to listen to those lies. In fact, when I listen to those lies, I can go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. The verse that we covered, John himself has says this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The moment we are willing to feel remorse and repent, we have been forgiven. He said we can use 1 John 1, 9 to counter that condemnation from our heart. And you will know that you have been forgiven. Here's the test. How do you know that you've been forgiven? How do you know that's real? I want to give you, give you the answer because John gave us the answer in John chapter 3. If you continue to read in verse 21, it says this. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. I want you to circle the word confidence. You know, when your hearts condemn you for the sin that you have done and when you when you pray to god for to forgive you repent of your sin and first according to first john 1 it cleanses us the first sign that you have actually experienced forgiveness is this that you can now approach god in prayer you know what's the first thing that adam and eve did when they sinned they hid they ran away you know what's the first thing david king david did after committed adultery with Bathsheba? He isolated himself. He sent Bathsheba home and he isolated himself and said, let me think of a way to get out of this. But you know when he experienced freedom from guilt is when he prayed Psalm 51. The greatest, can you imagine that the greatest sinner there is? The king who was supposed to fight the war, committed adultery and murdered somebody. Yet come and be forgiven by God. And now he prayed to this God who is supposed to give him judgment. Supposed to give him uh, punishment for the sin that he has committed. You see, when you prayed to ask God for forgiveness, you will know that those, those guilt is no longer there when you actually see yourself wanting to come close to God and actually want to pray to God. But unless you, 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 you feel that confidence come before God, perhaps guilt has still had a hold in your life. So that's how that's how that's why it is important that we think we believe rightly about Jesus, but not all from within, but also from without. See, there's attacks from the outside. How do we what what does believing in Jesus rightly help us in fighting that fight from the outside when with false teachers? Here's what it says. First John chapter first uh, John chapter four verse one. We go down a little bit. It says, says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Here's the, the, what we're called to to test the spirit. To test the spirit. Um, in my uh, previous life, uh, not life, profession, uh, before I was a pastor, you guys, most of you know that my undergraduate degree was in geophysics. So what that means is I spent a whole lot of time out in, out in the mountain and looking at rocks and, and identifying rocks. That's pretty much what I do. Like for most weekends. And now when you look at those rocks out there, you're like, that looks like red, yellow, and green. 
And most of the time, that is true actually on the outside. But our job as geologists a lot of times is to identify exactly what kind of rock those are. And so you cannot just tell by color. Because sometimes what is on the outside actually is not what is on the inside. So many of you have probably come across these things called quartz, like gem, like purple-looking uh, gemstone. On the outside, they look nothing as beautiful as the inside. What you need to do is you need to cut it open. Then you see the beautiful uh, purple color, those crystals forming inside a rock. What John has the idea is this. There are so many false teaching out there that unless we are testing them, having tools to test these false teachings, we will easily buy into the lies of this world. And he gave us two ways, of, uh, one way of testing this. First John chapter 4, verse 2 to 3. How do we test this? How, how do we know what we're teaching is true? How do you know what I'm teaching every Sunday is real? It's from the Bible. Because just because someone is standing up here does not make them a right and, and correct, uh, a biblical teacher. And so what John tells us is this. The way to test it, the way to know is this. First John chapter 2, verse 3. Can you go, go there? you go. Uh, this is how you know. This is how you know the Spirit of God. This is how you test whether someone is teaching correctly or not, according to the Bible. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. Uh, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus. Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. How do we know what something is really from God? What is something that is biblical or not? Here's the test. What do they say about Jesus? Does, does the teaching re, uh, confess that Jesus... Uh, can you go on the next slide, please? Does it confess that about Jesus being fully human, about Christ's humanity... Does it also affirm that Christ fully, it was God, his, his uh, divinity? That's what John's saying. You need to test every teaching you heard from the world and the, and the church. Does it tell you about, does it affirm, does it believe that God was fully human? Does it also believe that God is fully God, uh, Jesus was fully God? These true truths are essential. Because I want to show you the, one of the phrases that we, we looked at earlier. One of the false teachings that we've heard time and time and time again. That one that says, God won't give you more than what you can handle. We've all heard of this phrase. We might have given that as a counsel to somebody. When they're going through a tough time. Oh, God, can't, uh, God won't give you what you can't handle. And you need to, how do, when we test this with Christ's humanity and Christ's divinity, what does this say about Jesus? You will see that this truth is not right. Let me show you how. Here's the first thing. When we talk about God won't give you more than what you can handle, the, the assumption the focus of that statement, that teaching is this, that you can handle things on your own. So if you can handle things on your own, God's going to give you a little bit based on your ability to handle life. So the whole point of that teaching, the whole point of that statement of that thought is you can function without God. That you can act independently away from God. But we know that if we really believe in Christ's humanity, what is saying, what, what, the reason why God, Christ, needs to be fully human being to live on earth a perfect life is because you and I cannot function perfectly without sin. So that's why Jesus needed to come as fully human to die a death that you cannot die on your own. But it also tells us Christ, uh, Christ's divinity is that only God being perfectly sinless can die for you and I. 
We are de- completely dependent on Jesus Christ. You and I cannot handle life on our own. See, that statement, while it sounds really, really good, that God can't, won't give you what you can't handle, the reality is that you and I can't handle anything without Jesus. That is the reality. And here's the real test. When we affirm, when we really believe in Christ's humanity, in Christ's divinity, that he is fully God, he is fully man, what ultimately will point us to is this. This is the ultimate test. Does the teaching point you to Jesus? Does the Bible study that you're a part of point you to become more like Jesus, more dependent on Jesus? Does the book you read point you to become more like Jesus and more dependent on Jesus? Does the sermon you listen to, does it point you to more de- become like Jesus and dependent on Jesus? If, if what you read, what you listen, what you're talking about, it does not lead you to rely on Christ more, but rather turn you to rely on yourself more, I can guarantee you that teaching is not from the Bible. That teaching is not from God. When whatever that we hear, read, listen to, help point us to find our identity, satisfaction, and power in everyone else but Jesus, that teaching is not from God. And our world is littered with teaching that point us somewhere else but Jesus. Just listen to these slogans. Just do it. Where is that from? Nike. Very good. You guys know the ways of the world very well. Have it your way. Burger King. Where do you want to go today? Microsoft. Be all you can be. Army. The best a man can get. Gillette. What can Brown do for you? UPS. Right? Everything is about self. Everything is about our own power. But, but you see, all these are teaching us that this is not pointing out to Jesus. And guess what? When it doesn't point us to Jesus, when it doesn't help us to become like Jesus, when it doesn't point us to rely on Jesus, those are false teaching. But I think as we look at, at all these false teachings, there can be a way that we feel very fearful. It's like, oh, should I not listen to any radio? Should I not read anything? You can walk around like a landmine. Like, oh, I said on that note, false teaching. But here John gave us a very comforting encouragement. First John chapter 4, verse 4, he continues and says this. And I love the way he says this. You are from God little children there's a tenderness of john speaking to his audience he said you know you are from god and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world you know you are christian don't don't ever doubt that because you put your faith in him and now because you are my your christ uh your christ follower you're god's children the one believe and could be convicted that the one inside of you God himself is greater than the one who is trying to attack you on the outside. John said in another way in John chapter 10, verse 27. Can you go to the next slide, please? He says, my sheep hear my voice. Keep going. And I know them and they follow me. Keep going. There. Uh, keep going. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you are God's children, there is an innate ability for you to hear God's voice. I don't know how Hannah does it. Uh, it doesn't say that I'm, uh, I'm, I don't mean that I'm not a good father, okay? But uh, I don't know how Hannah does it. But when our kids wake up in the morning, she can tell by just the steps who's walking around the house. She can tell exactly which kid it is that woke up. There is this innate connection. There's this innate awareness of even though with, with our kids at our home, they all walk to me. They're the same. But for her, she can tell right away, oh, Kayla, what's up? 
And the same way as Christians, we have the Spirit of God inside of us. We are His sheep, and we can hear His voice. And, we, and more than that, we can hear His voice. It says that God knows us. But here's the responsibility I want to end on, because we need to follow. We can hear God knows us, but here's the third thing. You and I have the responsibility to follow that voice and follow what Jesus called us to do. I, I just want to share quickly, I know we're running out of time, three things that you can do tangibly to follow Jesus' voice. Tangibly to follow the truth of God. Here's a, If you're filling out the blank, the third one, it says, the way to counter confusion and doubt is to feed our minds with the truth of Christ. I want to give you three simple ways that you can do that. It is not as hard as you think. But it is a matter of are we willing to follow the voice of God? Here's the first one. Make it a habit to meditate on God's word. Make it a habit to meditate on God's word. Find a plan. Find If you don't have a plan, your small group probably goes through a plan. Go on you version. Choose a plan to read God's word. Make it a habit of digesting God's word. You will only recognize that voice if you are consuming that voice all the time. Here's the first one. Read God's word. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Let it, let it read your life through it. Number two, listen and or sing spiritual song. Colossians chapter 4 tells us to sing spiritual songs, sing hymns to one another. Why not? Because we're good singers. You know, the song that I was quoting on earlier, the rap song, my kid, I've been listening to it all week. My kid's been half rapping the song. And they just start singing, singing false teachers all the time. You know, you know, some of the songs that I remember most about God is the songs that I've learned. Even when I was non-Christian, singing those songs. And there is a way of songs that lodging into our hearts the truth of God that perhaps when we read, we're not, we, it doesn't stay with us as much. I want to encourage you. The Bible says, sing. Sing to one. And that's why it's important for you to sing. Because there's someone in this room that needed to hear those lyrics. We're not just singing for ourselves. But get used to, the, uh, used to listening to Christian songs. Fill your mind with Christian songs. The songs that are good. That's why our worship leaders make it a point to choose songs. Not just any songs that we, we, we listen to. Because it matters what we listen to. Here's the third one. Be an active learner. Be an active learner in your small group. Be an active learner in your Bible study. Be an active learner here in listening to the sermon. Do, I, some people will say, oh, just sit here and be a, be a sponge. And just soak up whatever knowledge. I'll tell you, don't do that. There's no use for you to soak up a bunch of knowledge that you will not do. I want to challenge each one of you. As you have engagement with the Lord of God, whether you're opening it up in the morning or swiping it up in the afternoon. Or coming to church here, listening to sermon in your small group. I want to encourage you, be an active, engaging learner. Wrestle with what God says. Ask questions. Because that is the only way for you to hear God's voice and be used to God's voice. And that is the only way that would challenge you to follow God's voice. Here's the, here's the reality. All of us are facing attacks. I don't care if you're young, if you're old, how long you've been Christians. We're all under the attack. But here's the great news I want to end with. First John chapter 3 that we've read. Can you go next slide, please? For God is greater than our hearts. God is greater. Than our hearts. God has created every condemnation you've heard from your own conscience. Not only that, He is greater than the one who is in the world. Satan might seem appears to be powerful. He might be spreading lies to you, but I want you to remember if you're a believer, God is greater. Let's pray together.